NCW. Uh, I'm humbled that I get to work with college students because they're awesome. Uh, I'm humbled that I get to come up uh, and open God's word for you today and to be with you, many of whose faces I'm learning and names I'm learning. Uh, I'm, I'm humbled to be a part of a, a, a church community here in the city of Wilmington that's preaching God's word and, and seeing students' lives changed. Um, if you want to, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Exodus chapter 19 and your pew Bible in front of you. If you need a Bible, feel free to uh, look in that one. It's on page 60. Uh, Paul and I met earlier this summer, and he asked me to come and preach God's word to you. Uh, last summer, I came to Christ Community Church when you started your series that went through the whole Bible. And I know this summer, uh, Paul's asked me to, to, to join into what you guys are doing with filling in some of the misses, missing pieces that you didn't get to cover. Uh, and so today, we're looking at Exodus chapter 19. Just a couple of words of introduction so that we know where we are. So the book of Exodus, we're right smack in the middle of it in chapters 19 and 20. Chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments. So that means everything that has come before chapter 19 are all those famous stories that you know about. Right. We've got the birth of Moses. We've got uh, the plagues in Egypt as God's people were being oppressed and enslaved. We've got the exodus and then we've got God's people wandering in the wilderness. And in chapter 19, they've arrived. They've arrived at Mount Sinai where the rest of Exodus will take place. And just before the Ten Commandments, right after the freedom that God brought them to and right before the law that he would call them to, are these first six verses in Exodus chapter 19. Let's read these and then we'll take a few minutes and think about them. Exodus 19, 1 through 6. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain. While Moses went up to God, the Lord called out to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Let's take a few moments and reflect on this.
I just wanted to get to pray for Jay before we get started. But um, one of the first times I visited an RUF meeting at UNCW, um, I went really just to kind of check it out and see, is this something I want to encourage you know, our students to go to? Look, I knew that the theology of RUF was really uh, lined up uh, almost identical with, with uh, our convictions at our church. And so I thought, man, this... This would be really great if this was a great ministry, and they're really feeding the word of God to these high school or to these college students. And even since, you know, when, when I was on staff with Young Life, uh, and this was Paul's practice too, driving through the UNCW campus, just asking that God would send people there to to care for UNCW students and to teach them the Bible and to plug them into local churches. And I knew that that was what the ministry of RUF was all about. So long ago, um, I was praying for God to send RUF to UNCW. And uh, last year, prayer was answered. And uh, here Jay is, and here his family is. Uh, his wife, Bethany's in the front uh, with their little daughter, Breck. And, um, man, I, I really hope that you all get to uh, become friends with them in the next, I don't know, 20 years that you plan on being here to do Sounds ministry. Right. Sounds right. Paul said that you had to be here for 20, 20 years. years. Mm-hmm. So uh, let me pray for him as he opens up God's word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your servant, Jay, for the road that's brought him here, for the burden that you've put on his heart for college students, uh, for the burden of your gospel that he wants to proclaim and that he can't help but proclaim everywhere he goes. I pray that you would uh, make the meditations of his heart and the words of his lips uh, be pleasing to you to serve your people and build them up and pray that in christ's name amen Amen. Uh, so if there's one thing that i would want you to leave with today from this scripture it would be that god gives us an identity so that we might put that identity on display for the world to see you know as a parent sam mentioned uh that i'm a dad we have three little girls Uh, my oldest her name is lane uh, Lane McGregor, uh, one of the things that uh, I love about Lane is that we're beginning to see what her personality and what her identity is like. She loves to pretend. That's true of most four or five-year-olds, right? It's true of most toddlers. She loves to watch her mom cook and bake. We're, we are a people that love good food and love people around our table. She loves to help her mom when her mom's in the kitchen when Bethany is in the kitchen, sometimes we'll have special daddy-daughter time where we'll turn on Netflix and we won't watch cartoons. We watch cooking shows. She absolutely loves it. One of our favorites is this lady by the name of Ina Garten. Uh, I like her, the barefoot Contessa, for those of you who are track. I see some pumped fists. That's awesome. Uh, one of the things I love about Ina Garten is she explains very clearly everything she's doing, why the ingredients are important. Uh, and she really engages the person watching the show. Lane loves Ina Garten. Because she's learning about cooking from her parents, uh, because she's uh, learning about cooking from books we read her or from the little TV she watches, she pretends quite often about cooking. A few weeks ago as we played outside, uh, she began to uh, collect herbs, which were just little pieces of grass. You've seen uh, little boys and girls do this. She gathered other ingredients, 
bark and dirt and leaves. She gathered these ingredients. She made a dish. And even though we sat and talked about all the parts of her creation, how delicious it was, and pretended to eat this inedible meal, here's the reality of being her dad. I delighted in her identity that was on display of a huge part of what our family is, creating and cooking a meal together. I delighted in my daughter who was putting on display the things that she's learned by being a part of our family. I wonder how in the world that our Heavenly Father could delight in us as we display Christ to this world. But the Bible tells us that He does. You are a community of people. You're constantly learning to love one another through His Word, through conflict, through prayer. You are trying to put into practice that which God is teaching us. You know, I feel like efforts in Christian ministry, efforts in my Christian life are often similar to a meal of sticks and leaves and dirt that my daughter likes to make. But friends, our good Lord delights in us. He takes joy because of the life of Christ that is on display in us. And we want to take the work of Christ and put it in our skin so that the world can see the goodness of Jesus. That it's life-changing. That it's so amazing that even though we are wholly different as sinners compared to Jesus, that the message we show this world is seen as beautiful. You see, God is giving his people, Israel, he's giving them an identity. And he's calling them to put it on display because he delights in his people. He promises that even though we're sinners, that he will use us, the broken, the falling, the failing, the hurting, the sick. He promises that he will use us for his glory in this world. That's what he's doing in Israel and that's what he's doing in you. And so this morning, what happens when the life of Christ is on display in us? If you look in verse 5, it starts off in 19 verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. You see, when the life of Christ is on display in us, we live specifically. What? How do we live specifically? Yes, we want to live specifically according to the word, according to all that the scripture says. But this is taking us to an even deeper place, a a place where we can understand the identity that our God is giving us. You see, a treasured possession is someone that's set apart for a specific purpose. In the ancient Near East, when this was being written, the treasured possession was synonymous not with the congregation, but with the king. The king was seen seen as someone who was set apart for a specific and a special purpose. But in Christ, as we're united with him, as we've been given a new life, as we are part of his covenant community, as he brings us a new identity, we are called a treasured possession. And friends, if we are called a treasured possession, then we have been given a specific purpose Here's why this is important. We must believe this or we will fall into the trap of a general, generic moralism. 
We must believe that we are called and set apart for the work of God in this world, or we will spend the rest of our lives trying to check the boxes of Christianity. And for those of you who have tried that, you know that it leads to nowhere. But you know when you believe and enter into the reality of a covenant relationship with Jesus, that though you sin, though you fail, though boxes go unchecked, you are a treasured possession. You know, uh, I spent five years in pastoral ministry in Raleigh. Before that, I spent four years as an intern and as a seminarian in Charlotte. Before that, I worked with a nonprofit ministry. But I've got to tell you, when I stepped foot on campus at UNCW last fall as a 32-year-old, going bald or bald, not as in the best shape as I was when I was in college individual, I've got to tell you, my insecurities just sprang right up. Do I even belong here? What if they don't like me? What if they realize that I'm not cool? All these weird insecurities just began to spring up in me. You know those insecurities, don't you? Maybe it's not on a college campus, but maybe it's when you walk into your office. And you don't think that that you're good enough for what God's called you to. Maybe you're a community group leader. And people start filing in your home and you think, how will I ever communicate to these people what the Bible says? You know those insecurities That you feel. But when the gospel melts our insecurities away and replaces them with the reality that we are a treasured possession, with a gospel purpose, we can begin to live specifically and intentionally. And friends, this is how I got up out of my bed every day and went to campus. Because I was called for a specific purpose to a specific place. And you have been too. Your co workers are not random. Your neighbors in the neighborhoods in which you live are not simply by chance. You live in this city because God has called you. Whether you feel it in your heart or in your gut or in your head or not, you are here as a Christian, as a follower of Christ, to have an identity, to put on display the love of Jesus to those around you. Your paycheck isn't because you planned it or worked hard enough and got that raise. Your hairstylist isn't yours simply because you've heard they're the best. Your life is not yours. You are hidden in Christ. Let that sink in. Because this morning there are insecurities that you walked into this room with that Jesus wants to melt away right now. So that when you see your neighbor who you've been feuding with, You can humble yourself before them and show them Jesus. So when you sit down in the break room at work and have a weird and hard conversation about the divorce that your coworker is going through, you can meet that person right where they are, right what they need, because you've been created for a specific purpose. When the life of Christ is on display in us, we live specifically and intentionally, not knowing the future, but knowing who holds the future in his hands. We live specifically on mission, not as outlaws, just shooting random gospel bullets all around town. But we live specifically, knowing that every single step we take is ordered, intentional, and for the glory of our great God. He's building an identity for his people. He's done it in the Old Testament, and he continues into the new, when the life of Christ is on display in us. We live specifically, but we also 
we learn to pray desperately. Look in verse 6, the very beginning of verse 6. Where God says, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests. That's what we're called. Both here and in Peter in the New Testament. A kingdom of priests. Priests pray. Priests are mediators of God's grace. And so you have been called. So we have been called. To become mediators of God's grace to each other as Christians. As we pray for one another, as we serve one another, as we draw one another in to worship on Sundays. But we've also been called to be a kingdom of priests to this world. You see, that's what God had in mind as he was building the identity of a nation. Not that they would just be this secluded bunch of people. Yes, he had standards. Yes, he wanted holiness. Yes, he had expectations on those people of how to live in the world. But there were priests. They were a kingdom of priests who became mediators on behalf of this whole world, praying for it, sharing the good news of the covenant that God had made with them. You know, we must believe that it's our job and it's the job of the priest to mediate by prayer. We hear in uh, Romans chapter 8, verse 38, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. We are mediators of this good promise. We do this through prayer. Not through our own abilities. Yes, God has gifted us. God has has given us all types of spiritual gifts and tangible gifts in this world, and he will use them. But as a kingdom of priests, we we must pray desperately. You know, sometimes I think we, we pray, but sometimes we don't see God work a lot, do we? Sometimes we don't slow down enough to see him work. But friends, look around you. This church was built on prayer. The word of God being faithfully preached for the last 14 or 15 years. Look at how God answers prayer through his people. This is a powerful and real thing that happens, yes, over time, but sometimes quicker than that. This past semester, it was the end of the first week of school. I was in the library. It was the first time I'd had a chance to sit down and and study for some teaching that I was going to do on a Sunday morning. My phone was at 1% battery. And if you are under the age of 30, you know that that just drives you crazy. It's like, it, it's, it's worse than losing your wallet in a lot of ways. My phone was at 1% battery. I didn't have a charger. I didn't know about the charging stations in the library yet because I was a newbie on campus. And so I went over to, uh, to, the, to the student bookstore and I bought an overpriced iPhone charger. And I took that overpriced iPhone charger and I went into Hawks where the students eat together. And it was really, really empty. There were just a couple of people sitting around. So I grabbed a booth. I opened my Bible. I plugged my phone in. And I started to work on a, on a message for Sunday. And then I looked up and I saw this freshman. Now, as you'll notice, in just a couple of weeks, when freshmen start coming, they're really easy to spot. Right? 
So I knew it was a freshman. He had a name tag on. He looked like he didn't know what he was going to do next. Knew he was a freshman. And I heard the Holy Spirit in my heart, not audibly, but in my heart, I heard the Holy Spirit say, you need to pray. You need to go talk to this kid. And I was like, sorry, I've got work to do, Holy Spirit. I've got to work on my sermon. I just bought an expensive iPhone charger. I'm feeling good about what I'm working on. I don't have time for you right now. So I got back into the Word. This is so ironic, isn't it? got back into the Word and was reading and praying, and I was feeling the preacher flow. You'll have to ask Paul what that is one time, but it's when you're working on a sermon, and you get into the flow, and you're feeling the Holy Spirit. I was getting into the flow. Things were getting out on paper really well. Then I heard the voice of the Holy Spirit in my heart again say, you need to pray, and you go talk to the student. And so before I knew it, knew it I, I, I got up, and I walked over, and I said the dumbest thing you can possibly say to a freshman in college. I said, excuse me, could you tell me what the spiritual climate is on campus at UNCW? (laughs) I've learned so much in a year of college ministry. And he just looked at me and he said, you know, I'm a freshman. I really don't know. I'm a universalist, so I guess everything's okay with me. And so before I knew it, it had been an hour and a half, and I was sitting down across from him at the table learning about his life, learning about the struggles of being a freshman your first year where you don't know where anything is and you don't have any friends, learning that he was having a really tough time. Long story short, we went and watched a movie because students do that all the time with a couple of other RUF students that night. And by the time I left, he was talking about science fiction stuff that I know nothing about with my students. And they took him home. For the rest of the year, this student came to RUF. For the rest of the year, this student uh, began to come to local churches For the rest of this year, this student heard the gospel preached. We pray that he would uh, know the gospel and follow him. Now, here's the crazy part. A week before that happened, my friend, his name's John, he's the RUF campus minister at another school in North Carolina, walked into the chaplain's office. The chaplain said, hey, would you pray for my son? He's having a hard time. He's at UNCW. So he and John prayed. Pray that he would meet me. Pray that he would hear the gospel. Pray that he would have a connection. John never told me that until I called him the next week. You see, friends, we are called to be a kingdom of priests because God works through prayer. God works in building our identity through through prayer. Even when we say the dumb thing we say to the freshmen, God is at work in and through us. That was true of his people in the Old Testament. It's true of his people in the New Testament. And it's true now for his people at Christ Community Church. We pray desperately, not because we actually think we can make God do something. Not because we can make something happen, but because we realize that without the hand of God moving In our lives, in the lives of those of us around us, nothing can happen. We pray desperately when the life of Christ is on display in us. We pray desperately because we begin to realize that our intellect and our systems and our planning, though are important and in many ways necessary, it's not what ultimately will usher in God's kingdom. It's the going forth of his word through the prayers of his people. Now, at this point in in the passage, I'm ready to go. I'm super excited. I'm feeling really motivated. Right? I want to go out and share my faith with a thousand people. That's one extreme. The other extreme is, okay, I'm I'm here because God called me here. I know I have a specific purpose. I, I know I'm supposed to pray, but 
I'm petrified because I've failed, I've, I've sinned. And if I'm honest, even though I'm geared up and ready to go at this point in this passage, there's still insecurity. So what do we do when we fail? What do we do when we realize that, that what God's called us to is bigger than we can do on our own? Well, when the life of Christ is on display in us, we begin to rest deeply. Here's what I love about this passage. It's sandwiched in between, like we said earlier, this freedom that God's brought his people to and the law that he has called them to. It wasn't in response to any good that they had done. It wasn't in response for them making every right step. On the contrary, both before this and throughout the whole Old Testament, we see, we see God's people trying their best to run away from him. But our God is like a daddy in the parking lot. When, you got a, when your little girl is in the parking lot with you and you're holding their hand and they're squirming and they're trying to get away, a daddy's grip is stronger than the rebellious child. Because the dad knows exactly what that kid needs. That is our God and he has called us as his people. Who's built an identity of Christ in. He's called us to rest deeply as a holy nation. We are the example of God's holiness in this world. Now listen to this. This is really important. In one sense... In one sense, we cannot give this world our holiness. The Old Testament is filled with examples of how God's people failed miserably. My life is filled with examples of how I've failed miserably. In one sense, we cannot give this world our holiness. It will completely exhaust us. It goes back to that moralism that I was talking about. It will eventually cause this world to misunderstand Christianity. But in another sense, we must give this world our holiness. We must show the world that we as a treasured possession of God are a set-apart community. We see this in two ways. And this is most utterly and wonderfully dependent on his mercy. What happens is, as we rest deeply as a holy nation, we become examples in our brokenness. When we rest deeply in his holiness, we don't have to fear our brokenness and failure. The way we handle failure and sin and hurt in this world, it begins to serve as a billboard to the mercy of Jesus. It shows that we understand exactly where our holiness really comes from. But we also become examples in our refining. We rest deeply in his holiness when we do that, we actually see growth in grace. This is the good news of the working of the gospel in our life. That it doesn't leave us where we are. That it constantly forgives, but that we might actually grow in grace. In the grace that Jesus gives us. We see small steps of God changing our, de our desires, our actions, and our hearts. And not for our glory, but for his glory. You see, God calls us, as his people, to put Jesus on display in this world. Here's what I love about the book of Exodus. By the time we get to chapter 40, there's a tabernacle that's been built. The presence of God comes down on the tabernacle. The holiness of God sits among the people of God. And their identity becomes so clear in this physical representation 
of what it looks like to be a, a person of God. In the center of it all is the tabernacle where God's presence dwells. Fast forward to the New Testament. Jesus Christ comes. He's the one who becomes the tabernacle. The very presence of God rests upon him. And for 30 to 33 years, he walks on this earth and he shows us what it looks like to honor and love and cherish our good Lord. Living a perfect life. He dies on a cross so that our sins might be forgiven. He ascends into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, always interceding, praying as a priest for us. And he calls us week in and week out to rest deeply in the good news that he has brought. You are a specific people that God has chosen. You are a people that that he has chosen to be priests in this world. And you are a people that he's called to rest in the reality that he is at work in your life. Let's pray. God, we thank you. Lord, we thank you that Uh, that you don't leave it up to us to establish our identity, but, Lord, that our life is hidden uh, in in the one who is perfect. Father, we thank you that you put us in places, sometimes full of joy and sometimes full of sorrow, Lord, but we know that in each of those extremes and in the in-between, you meet us there. Father, we thank you that you allow us to rest. And, Father, I pray that we would rest in the beauty of, of the gospel of Jesus, the tabernacle who is among us. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.